Hi there, welcome to How Did I Get There? I'm your host, John Penn. So today, uh, really excited to talk to Angela. So I think I first really got to know more about her work through that AMC show, Hell on Wheels. And I honestly don't watch a lot of television. Uh, I mean, not as much as her. I think there was a point where she said that she watched like eight hours of TV when she was a kid. That's a lot. I probably watched like three or four, maybe. I don't know. That's an extreme example. But uh, I don't know how much she watches now. But we talked about that character on Helen Wheels. I mean, she played a guy, Fong, and then also a woman, May. And it's about that Pacific Railroad man. I mean, it formed so many jobs and it and so many associations in America. But it was such a bloody thing, an undertaking Lots of people died. I mean, you can see that in that show. I think what was interesting to see in terms of her involvement in that um, was just her physicality and the kind of adjustment that she was able to do almost. I mean, visually, it was like seamlessly from being a guy to being a woman. And it's it sounds pronounced, but it really is quite pronounced. And I think that role was really interesting. For her. I mean, she's done, uh, you know, she's been in a lot of films. She's been in television, guest spots. Now she has a new show coming out. That's coming out on Hulu. It used to be called Career Opportunities and Murder and Mayhem, but I think they thought that that was a little too wordy for the stream search. So then they changed it to Death and Other. Wow, I just screwed it up. They changed it to Death and Other Details, which is presently what the show's title is now and um, so we talked a lot about that and I didn't know a lot about the show I think a lot of that stuff is kind of kept under wraps but we talked about that takes place on a cruise ship there's a detective theme Mandy Patinkin's in it it's going to be really interesting to see Uh, we also talked about LA Los Angeles where she lives although she is from New Zealand so we kind of talked about the parallels if you will between those two and then also North Carolina man That's where Duke is. We also talked about this writer's strike that's still going on that she's been involved with. And Shakespeare came up because she worked uh, a lot at the Globe Theater in London. So that was really cool. And yeah, man, I I enjoy talking to her. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Oh, another thing that she was in. uh, This was a movie that I saw recently, which is Promising Young Woman with Carrie, Carrie Mulligan's in it. Man. That's a really good movie. You should check that out. I think that was like Universal in Focus, Double, what is that called? Collaboration, Collaborative Effort. Check, check that out and um, enjoy. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Do you have any uh, Do you have any questions as we start? Um, I don't know. I figured it's yeah. pretty much in the name, right? <laughs> Why do I always ask that? That's like the first question I always ask. You're in LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how's that? How does LA compare it to other places you've lived? Well, currently, right now, it's a bit of a bummer because we're all just, you know, hitting the pavements every single day. Yeah. We're on strike. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, usually it's the thing about the city is that there's always something going on. There are so many events in the business and also social events. I really like that. Mm. And um, 
other than that, I would say the food is pretty darn amazing from all sorts oh, of yeah. different cultures. Yeah. But I wouldn't call that a unique thing because it's also like that in Auckland, where I'm from. And hmm. I thought actually uh, Durham was pretty oh, damn yeah. good food as well. Are you like a, do you like barbecue? I do like barbecue, yeah. but I don't like the sour type. Or oh, I okay. prefer less. Wait, what's the sour type? Well, isn't there like, you know, Southern barbecue, they're like different styles. Oh. Of it. There's like sweeter ones and there's more tangy. That's the sour one. Um, there's dry rub, right? Like so. Oh, yeah. Barbecue. You sound like you have more expertise on the subject than I do. I mean, let's see. What, what about think? where do you uh, did you ever go to Heavenly Buffaloes in Durham? Oh, in Durham? Yeah. I don't think so. But, you know, I could have because so <laughs> much one of, of those what nights? we did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so much of what you did at Duke is like, I didn't know where I was going. I just followed people there. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. That's like, I guess, the interesting part about it. Wait, so how does how does L.A. compare to Durham, let's say? Like, do you would you say you prefer because you say you, you strike like, would you say you're more of a sociable person? I mean, you like the events and stuff. So like, have you always kind of been like that? I think I'm a pretty social person in the sense that I love people. I'm so, I find myself very interested in them and their stories and everyone's super unique. Um, but that that's, I think I realized like being an actor that I'm actually not the most extroverted person on the mm. planet. <laughs> if yeah. you could put it on a extroversion, introversion scale, I think I actually prefer being by myself a lot mm. Yeah. Um, to recharge the batteries and I really like to read and I like to write and just think alone a lot. But when I am with people, I really enjoy it. Is this your first uh, strike that you've been involved with? It is the first Writers Guild strike I've been involved mm -hmm. with. Um, but I think I was in SAG last time when they did a commercial strike okay. and uh, I'm not technically a commercial actor. So I guess I wasn't like technically on strike yeah. myself, but I did show up to the pickets, you know, for my fellow guild members. So how's that experience now? Like with the WGA, like, how is that? Have you learned things about yourself? Cause it seems like it takes a lot of commitment to be involved in those sort of things. I mean, I don't think I've ever been involved in a strike so like how did you how did you get involved and how's that experience going oh i wouldn't say i necessarily got involved okay, okay. <laughs> yeah it's just um it's a thing that everyone's yeah. required to do you know like mm. once you're in the guild you're always yeah. one and yeah. i think um because the wga is so much smaller they actually have to tell everyone like look we need you guys out there like four hours a day for this to be effective so you know everyone just gets out there and they get behind it um <laughs> but you know at the end of the day we're doing all of this not because we want to be on strike but because we really believe that this is critical not yeah. only to the writers who are currently in the guild but for writers who aren't even born yet at this point ai is an existential threat threat to the entire oh, yeah. profession yeah i'm not into ai i feel like everyone <laughs> is into it i just can't what do you do mean it. into it you mean like, like even uh like you know what i did when this ai craze came and like this chat thing was happening i just started like i turned off the autocorrect on my phone because <laughs> i'm just like i don't like following i mean i guess ai is not a fad like i see how it's useful in things like especially in healthcare and stuff but mm -hmm. I just didn't, I was just like, I'm not going to buy into this. But maybe I'm the, you know, maybe I should have. I mean, I don't know. What I found is like, I kind of miss, maybe I'm like an old school guy because I kind of miss the days when I had to like count change 
when I was buying mm-hmm. something or like when was the last time you remembered a phone number, right? Oh gosh. Cuz I yeah, feel like we're so similar in age. We go we were born in yeah. the 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So would you say cuz and you're not so you're sociable, but you're not and you're an extrovert, I guess. I don't know. But like you're not quite all the way there. So were you an only child when you grew up? Pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I was an only child for the first 12 years of my life. Oh wow. So I think that's probably where that weird liking to be alone thing happened is because in the earlier part of my life, I really was alone for a lot of it. And uh, I was entertaining myself with stories I'd make up by myself or like putting on the TV, all of that stuff. Why? Are you an only child too? Oh, yeah. I'm an only child. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm an introvert too. Is that how you relate to this? Um, I guess. But I don't know what the feeling is like when you're alone for 12 years and then suddenly like someone pops out. I mean, how was that? Do you remember that? That day, that feeling? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it was definitely like a, excuse me, I thought we had a good thing going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. No, that was the original reaction. But honestly, like, I love my brother so much. He's the coolest person. He's absolutely amazing. And I could not imagine my life without him. And, you know, even growing up needing to babysit him, like, at the time. Oh, yeah. It was probably like, I was like, oh, so embarrassing dragging my little brother around to my friends, you know, while we're hanging out. But Mm -hmm. honestly, it was so special, like those moments in that time. Yeah, I can't imagine. All right. So wait, so you were born, where were you born? I was born in Guangzhou, China. Wow. So then what brought you and your family to New Zealand? It was more like a, this is like a whole long story. And if I go too deep into it, we'll never get into it. No, this is why you're here, into um but it was I think it was more like my parents grew up in a time where it was very much a planned economy in the country Mm -hmm. you know so it it was a you didn't even really get to pick what you did as a profession let alone where you wanted to live So um, travel was very restricted back then. And I think my mother liked the idea of going out and seeing the world. Wasn't there a period where you could only have like one, wasn't there like a one child rule at some point? Yes, yes. That one child rule was around for a very, very long time. And I was definitely a product of the one child policy, but they have since lifted that. I think I believe it is now like a three child policy. Okay, (laughs) yeah. I wonder if people are... uh... Taking advantage of that now. That's going to be wild. So then, so when you move to New Zealand, when you're in Auckland, is Auckland the capital? Uh, that is a, um, it used to be, it used to oh. be. So it is, I, I wouldn't fault you for thinking it. A lot of people yeah. still think it. And mm-hmm. it is still definitely the economic capital and almost 50% of the country live there. Uh, but actually Wellington is the capital and yeah. that is smack bang in the middle of the country, but on the Southern part of the Northern Island. The Have North you been Island. there? Yeah. Is it cool? I mean, New Zealand strikes me as very, uh, like, beautiful. Like, I know, I mean, I know of, I mean, I know that's like Peter Jackson, right? That's where he's Mm -hmm. from. And he's Mm -hmm. shot, I think he's shot a lot there. So, like, it Mm -hmm. strikes me as very lush and very nice. Like, did did you kind of feel that when you're a kid? Or does it kind of feel like it's for granted because you're around it all the time? Oh, my gosh. Probably as a kid, I took it for granted. But now... I'm crazy about New Zealand, like even more crazy than I was about it back when we were actually like living there. Um, 
But, you know, I could go on and on about the amazing things about New Zealand. I could go on and on about our contributions to the world. I think they mm -hmm. were outsized for the fact that we're the small little island country in the bottom of the world. Okay. Um, but, you know, the contributions we made in terms of like inventions, but also even just people in the arts as well. Like I'm super proud of being a New Zealander. And I would highly recommend that you go visit okay. just for a vacation, whatever. Um, and it's amazing it's just so beautiful so natural and you know i think when you drive around outside of the city you'll see rolling green hills with yeah. sheep on them with cows on them and you realize like oh that's you know you're seeing where your food and your clothes come from and you see oh, they're yeah. out having like happy lives you know um yeah. and whatever and i feel like oftentimes i never see where our food is when i'm here like, I have no idea where it essentially comes from. I don't no. see it when I'm driving around. I don't really want to know where it's from sometimes. But, um, yeah, no, that's cool. Like, it's cool to have this transparency. And I guess it makes you, like, feel like the stuff that you're eating and whatever, consuming is more pure because you're seeing it. You're, like, seeing it in the life. But I guess it could also make it harder because you're like, man, this is a life that I'm kind of consuming. It's kind of weird. I don't know. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But you know, also you can see that it's out there and it's on the grass. You can oh, see yeah. that it's like grass fed because that it's like roaming around. It has pretty much a lot of freedom. I had oh, that gets to me. You know, I mean, as a kid, I was like, I want to be a vegetarian. The vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I thought, if we were all vegetarians unfortunately i don't think these cows would even exist no like that evolution would just take them away unfortunately right right and yeah. so it's like is it better to have lived and been happy in this basking in the sun on this green hill than to have not lived at all and then in some ways i think not to get too morbid about it like yeah. isn't that how we see humans like mm -hmm. we don't pretend to have a completely painless life and it's all no. about enjoying the good times before we go Man, yeah, that's morbid, but that's not too morbid. I do you think, do you believe in this thing about, because um, I've gotten like kind of interested in, in dreams, like this, I'm working, working on a project about it, but uh, do you feel like, do you think animals have the capacity to dream and like imagine things and have memories or do you feel like they don't maybe? I mean, how do you, I don't know how you tell, but what do you think? I honestly have no idea. I mean, I was not even, I was not even remotely a science major. I mean, isn't this yeah. your specialty? Aren't you like into psychos, you know? Yeah, but I don't know if this is, I mean, is it science to think, to wonder if someone dreams or not? I don't know. A hundred percent. Shouldn't you be okay. able to measure brain waves, right? Like I'm sure stick it in like a, what is it? An fMRI machine oh, and then nice. look at the parts of the brain that light up. You make it sound easy, man. I don't know. I, don't know. I haven't. I should look into that research. All right. So you're growing up in Auckland, in New Zealand, which mm -hmm. we've established is not the capital. That's Wellington, and mm -hmm. you like to see where your food is coming from. So wait, where do? What are some like? Would you say that there are traditional cuisine or traditional dishes in New Zealand? Yeah, I mean the, um, you know the native people i guess you would call you know the maori mm -hmm. they do like they do hungies which is cooking underneath in the ground and they mm -hmm. you know they cooking the food in there and the seafood and all of that stuff that that's delicious so that's definitely actually i think that's an experience you can have in um as like a tourist activity in new zealand yeah. um but then you've got the other like uh, 
quote unquote traditional kiwi cuisine which is mm -hmm. like a good old fish and chips with some tomato sauce and all of mm. that stuff uh, that's more from the british people that came over and then now what's really cool is that with all of the immigrants from all sorts of different countries in new zealand you kind of get special things like i heard that teriyaki chicken sushi was invented Whoa. by new zealand because oh. when they wanted to introduce sushi into the market they were like whoa 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 all yeah. this rice in a rolled seaweed thing with raw fish, like no one's going to eat this. Like this is too far-fetched. Like, but if we put teriyaki chicken in, in yeah, it. More accessible, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a step along the way. So apparently we invented that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and did like, you grow, Did you grow up with like traditional Chinese uh, cuisine too? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like my what are your, your go-tos, your go-to dishes? For me to make or for my mom to cook? <laughs> Let's say for your mom to cook. Oh, I was very lucky. My parents are amazing cooks, unlike me. Um, mm. And oh, I loved it when she made this egg and tomato dish. That's like yeah. a little sweet and tangy sort of egg dish. Mm -hmm. um, I really love this thing. Uh it's like a spicy boiled beef stew oh, um, and you put cabbage in it and, you know, glass noodles and that stuff. Nice. I really like like fried fish. Um, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so it's so, a lot of stuff. I could just keep going on. Man, that's good. So uh, she was a really good cook and your dad cooked too? Or was it mainly your mom? It sounds like that's like almost feeling like the good version of spoiled, like getting all these good dishes like you and your brother, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so my my parents, they started takeaway shops. Oh, so wow. like food was the family business. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're growing up and so did you ever think that that's like, were you ever, I don't know, pressured is the right word, but like encouraged to do something with food? Because I think because have you seen that? I just saw that show, uh, The Bear. Have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I came to kind of like, yeah, like it's cool. Like what I heard from uh, like friends of mine that are chefs is like that's the closest to the reality of it. And mm -hmm. I just wonder, like, you think about that, like it is such a service, and I think okay. that is uh, like really important. And for me, I mean, I haven't cooked since I moved to New York, and I I go out like almost every day for like every meal which is which is not good but whatever I just that's what I do so like did you uh feel like a bent or an encouragement to go into that or did you have like different interests that were developing when you were growing up I don't think I was ever encouraged to go into it I mean um so the the sort of takeaway shops came from my second dad he was doing oh, all of that stuff and then okay. my mom's background was more of like a, she had gone to med school in China oh, really and then when yeah. And then when she went to New Zealand, she retrained as an accountant because wow. as an immigrant, you know, she couldn't afford to do the night shifts at the hospital oh, yeah. to get retrained, you know, re-intern to become a doctor in New Zealand because, you know, they didn't have anyone to look after me that they trusted. Wow. So she had to retrain and reskill as an accountant. So I think there was like always a little bit of tension in my household around that because the shop um, always caused a lot of financial instability in oh, the household. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I was ever encouraged to go into it. Besides, I would sometimes, you know, work there 
on the weekends or something when I was younger for some pocket money and all that jazz and to learn about making money and how businesses work. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, my mom was always like, you're going to college. What were <laughs> your, she, but she, uh, it wasn't like a, you have to go to college. She was like, college was so fun for me. You really want to oh, go. Yeah. It's like the best time of your life. I mean, that's, that's like serious, like sacrifice and discipline. I mean, to be in, to go through med school and then become an accountant like that's wild. Um, wow. That's really cool. So like, did you, uh, when you say like, you know, she wanted you to like go to college and stuff. I mean, did you have interests that were kind of developing? Did you like, when did the interest in, um, I don't know, like acting and all that start? Was that kind of late or earlier? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being in this job, I answer that question a lot and okay. it's funny how Every time you do it, you sort of dig a little level deeper of your own psychoanalysis of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think actually, I think the very beginning of it was probably, you know, when it was just my mom and I and my second dad hadn't come into the equation Mm -hmm. yet. And because once again, she had nobody to look after me, I was often home alone by myself after school and being afraid of like being alone. I would always keep the TV on and that was comforting to do homework in or Mm -hmm. whatever too. And I didn't even realize that was a strange thing until one day in class, um, my teacher had us log how much TV we watched a day (laughs) and mine came at eight hours. And she was like, my gosh, I need to talk to your parents. Like, <laughs> what is going on? Um, but yeah, so I guess I've always loved stories and I've always felt just like the osmosis of having it on in the background. I inherently feel the structure of it and the mm-hmm. patterns we start to see and the different type of characters and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Um The less deep one is more like my high school had a liberal arts curriculum and you had to take one performing art. I had actually picked dance as my number one choice because Mm. I'd watched Honey and I wanted to be like Jessica Alba, obviously. Um, But then it clashed with all of my other classes. So they put me in drama. And at the time, I remember being like, oh, my God. Drama is such a nerd subject. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. no, I don't want to do drama class. And then yeah. I went to my first drama class and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm a drama nerd. <laughs> like, I'm one of these okay. people. Yeah. Man, honey, that's what did it, huh? So that was like the uh, for and dance. No, honey and was from, for, and, dance. for dance. Yeah, for dance. But still, like, that's that's the music video one, right? Where she's trying to be like, man, how did I remember that? Okay, but that didn't. Uh, end How'd up, you forget th- that? No, I did, I don't know. Right? Wait. So, did you keep uh, doing dance, or did you switch completely to drama? No, I wasn't doing dance. I just wanted to do. Oh, dance. okay. So, like, they had music, dance, and drama as your mm-hmm. performing arts options, oh. and you had to rank them. So, I ranked like I ranked dance first, but I didn't yeah. get it. So Wait. So, eight hours of TV. So, what are you watching? I mean, what's, right now? what's no, like, what did you watch when you were, uh, were you watching like movies on TV? Were you watching like, I don't know, soap operas? I'm just throwing like shit out there and like TV shows. I mean, obviously TV shows, but like serial ones or like, what were you seeing? I mean, you should remember what it was like back then. You didn't choose know. what was on public TV. It was like, yeah. you would just, you just turn the TV on and at like three o'clock, there'd be children's programming for after school. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. and then there'd be like kids stuff and there'd be then there would be cartoons and then as you got closer to like the 5 p.m stuff maybe you'd get like a simpsons episode or something and oh, then yeah. you would get friends and then as yeah. it got later and later you'd get like more adult stuff yeah i remember watching uh the sopranos when i was like pretty young i was that was probably mm-hmm. like a later 90s uh, but that stuck out of me. And that was, I guess that was during the day. I don't even know how we had HBO, but um, that's cool. And that's interesting that because you were kind of like, do they have that term latchkey kid, like in New Zealand, like where you're kind of like, you know, alone a lot? Like, I think I've heard it now, but I don't think yeah. they had it at the time because it was actually illegal, right? I remember oh. one, like you're not allowed to leave your kids alone yeah, yeah, until yeah. they're a certain age. Okay, and I okay. remember not realizing that until we lived next to a an, a retired police officer. <laughs> oh, no. She, <laughs> yeah, and one day I couldn't unlock the door. So I was just like sitting outside and she popped her head over the fence and she was like, little girl, what are you doing here by yourself? And she, yeah, and she, she squealed me on over. you. Did she squeal on you? Like, did no, she tell no, others? Okay, 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 okay. She didn't squeal. She was more like, come over, like, have some tea at my place, which oh, nowadays nice. you'd be like, that's nuts. Like, you can't just go yeah. over to a stranger's house. But, you know, there you go. Like, 90s New Zealand, it was great. And you, I went over and she popped the TV on. She was like, now, you know, in this country, like, you can't leave your kids by yourself. <laughs> Like, don't tell me and tell. All right. But I was like that, too. Like, I was a total latchkey kid. And I was always watching uh, TV shows. Like, I get, I don't know. My mom would, like, cook something. And I would, like, it would be half done. And then I would make it when I got home, I guess. And yeah. then I would just, like, watch TV. All right. So then you're you're getting into the drama. And you're not doing dance. We clarified yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so Honey's out. Jessica Alba, mm-hmm. sorry you were influential for dance, but I want to do drama and be a drama nerd. So when you're becoming a drama nerd, quote unquote, like what are you getting absorbed in? I mean, are you um, are you finding that it's what you expected or are you kind of like getting your mind blown by stuff and people that you're around? No, so I wasn't. I wasn't expecting anything from drama class because it never occurred to me to take drama class. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't even good at it. You know, I was, I remember the first grade I got was like a six out of 10. But I loved doing it. I mean, I just love, I love the experience of doing it. I was so uncomfortable performing in front of people but the the feeling of maybe getting over that was really good and being able to explore emotions that you otherwise wouldn't have the space to explore that was amazing and so after that I took drama class and you know I actually elected to take drama class every single year Mm -hmm. after that of high school and I am in my second year I also expanded into all of the drama extracurriculars on offer and I was just very lucky that my public school had so many drama options and had actually a very deep culture of performing very well on the national stage for a lot Mm. of these drama competitions that we have in New Zealand Mm. and so you know after that I joined the the um the Shakespeare festivals, the Shakespeare troops that were at school, the musical productions, the dramatic productions, and um, and then, you know, all the productions that you throw for your class when you do class drama. Oh, wow. Wait, so Shakespeare, did that, did that resonate with you? Because then you, weren't you in London, like performing? 
with Shakespeare, like the Globe Theater, right? So like, how did, uh, how did you find Shakespeare? Like, did that resonate with you? Because his, I mean, his canon is like so vast. And um, pretty much every film, I think that you see your television show or episode, like in some variation, there's definitely an influence on Shakespeare in terms of the tone, the plot lines, the characters. How did you find uh, doing that and performing that? Oh, my goodness. It's just so beautifully crafted. You know, so beautifully crafted. I loved the language. I loved how the rhythm of it all, um, you could really break it down and see how he was not only writing it for the sake of it being on a page, like we were reading it in class, in English class. When you when you read Shakespeare in drama class, it makes so much more mm-hmm. sense because baked into it is also clues on how you're supposed to stage it, oh, on yeah. how you're supposed to actually speak it on how an actor is supposed to be able to say it with what sort of pace with the breath placed where, you know, like where do you place the breath? This is all in there. It's all written down. And that's incredible. And like, as you learn more about Shakespeare, it's so to know that he started off as an actor too. Mm -hmm. And then he's like an actor turned writer and um, just, and sometimes even composing some of the songs that are inside there. Uh, just like kind of incredible to think that a, a person could do all of this stuff. I know. I'm trying to find like an analog to that, but I don't know if there ever will be one. He was just so influential. But um, that's true, though. Like I noticed that and we all grew up reading um, or I guess we're asked to read Shakespeare plays when we're in uh, high school, uh, even middle school, I guess, for in my case. But it's funny because those plays are kind of meant to more be performed rather than be read like a linear story. Mm-hmm. And yet they continue to do that. Yeah. Um, so that's cool that you kind of yeah. had that experience in, in drama. So then you graduate. So you go through co- like school, high school, uh, all the mm-hmm. way through, and then you graduate. And then what happens? Mm-hmm. What do you do? What's oh, so, okay. So what happened was the being at Shakespeare's Globe Theater, um, it's because when they were first making the recreation of the globe, the one that you go to now is actually a recreation, right? It's not the original. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were building that, they were fundraising for it. And New Zealand was one of the big places where they raised a lot of money to build the new globe. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Shakespeare's Globe Center New Zealand always had this special bond and they have this competition called the Sheila Wynn Shakespeare Schools Festival. Mm-hmm something like that oh no okay Dawn. yeah that's pretty good yeah. <laughs> i should the way I, no, I should remember the exact no, no, that's, that, that sounds right i don't know something yeah. like that okay and uh what you do is you know you put on productions and you have regional competitions and then from there you go to nationals and at nationals they pick people to do the shakespeare schools production which is they hire professional directors and you get mm. to work with them and then from there they pick some people to go to shakespeare's globe theater in london to train and perform over there for a few weeks. So that was amazing. And I basically like didn't tell my parents that I was doing any of this until it came to the point where it was like, oh, I need I need to raise money. the money to go yeah. to London. Yeah. And they were like, why are you going to London? What oh, is man. so you, you left them completely in the dark? They didn't know at all? Yeah. Okay. You know, I don't like didn't really that was just like a thing that I did, you know. I didn't right. invite them to any other stuff. That's cool. And um, Yeah. And I kind of sold it to them as like, look, I've been doing this whole drama thing and I'll get it all out of my system. And like, this is Mm. kind of a big deal, you know, and this would 
like a great thing to top off my like little uh, high school acting career. And then after <laughs> that, I will have got it all out of my system and okay. I'll be, I'll be able to be like a public lawyer, you know, nice. like I'll, I'll go happily to law school, you know? Okay. And um, I just remember after we had finished this whole entire experience over there and I'm like on the bus heading over to Heathrow and I'm thinking, man, I'm pretty proud of what we went through. That's kind of magical. Like what a great way to say goodbye to acting. And mm. then like, suddenly I noticed like there's just tears falling off of my face and I'm like yeah. oh my gosh why is my face wet like maybe this is what it means to have mm. a passion for something okay so maybe and, you can't just get out of your system in high school right 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 so that was when I decided okay I'm gonna at least continue to do this as like community theater or something while I'm going to college. Um, but if I manage to get a scholarship to go to the US, I'm gonna take that as some sort of divine sign that I should try my best to like slowly figure out how to get into Hollywood. Okay, so, and that was Duke, right? That's where yeah. you went? So Duke was your divine sign? Yeah, yeah. I, I went to Duke and I got the Robertson scholarship. And mm -hmm. the amazing thing about the Robertsons is that, you know, it's not about being a leader in a particular field. It's a leader in whatever field you choose to have your impact on the world in. And to help develop the new leaders of tomorrow, they also pay for your um, internships that you want to do oh. during the because I could have never afforded the rent in New York and LA oh, yeah. um, in the summers to, you know, figure out how to break into this business. Maybe I should apply to that scholarship. I mean, I might be too old, but I could always use help with the rent. All right. So you're doing that and you're at Duke. Did it feel kind of like a culture shock? I mean, because you were young going from, I guess, China to Auckland, like that was one. But it seems like it was maybe slightly more subtle. I guess when you're younger, like you can go through because I moved so much when I was a kid and it just felt like normal. I guess parents also have a way sometimes of like normalizing some of those things. But then going mm -hmm. from Auckland to Durham, North Carolina, I mean, did that feel like a culture shock of sorts? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to bring myself back. Yeah, um, let's go back to had... the Duke experience. <laughs> I was kind of looking, you know, looking at it now, I'm like, this was kind of insane, but I had never stepped foot in the US until wow. I flew over to go to Duke because, you know, it just wasn't, if my parents had money to fly places, it would be back to China um, mm -hmm. and not going to travel and to see the US. So for the first time I ever came, it was like to show up for Duke Robertson orientation. And wow. I remember flying over the US and being like, oh my gosh, here's LA and there's so much concrete. And then going over the middle where it's just like the multicolored patches of flat like farmland. And I'm yeah. like, gosh, maybe I should have visited before I decided to commit four years of my life here. And, and then I just remember as we're pulling up to North Carolina and it was just so beautiful and green and luscious. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like I picked the one place that was so green and like more me without oh, yeah. even realizing it. Yeah. So it's just super lucky that Duke is just the environment that I sort of thrive in, in terms of it being green and outdoorsy. So yeah. that wasn't too much of a culture shock. Like I loved having the Wild Duke and being able to run that oh, trail yeah. on Sundays to clear yeah. your head and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And um, 
the culture shock was more like, why isn't tax added onto any of the prices? And, and I remember telling, I remember telling um, a professor, I was like, I think it's a conspiracy in the sense that <laughs> I think it's because they want Americans to feel like taxes are in their face all the time. Mm, okay. But, right? Because when you bake it in, tax in New Zealand is so almost invisible because Mm -hmm. it's so easy. So many people don't even have to file taxes because the government already knows, right? They already know how much you make. They know how much you should be paying in taxes. They take it out before you get it anyway. So why do you even need to file, you know? Um, And then all the taxes, the sales taxes are included in the price. So nobody feels the burden of taxation, whereas the burden of taxation in America is very much felt. And I think yeah. maybe that's a way to make people keep it low. Yeah, know. maybe we should do that. Why don't we do that? <laughs> that seems like a lot uh, more, I don't know, 2023, right? More transparent in some ways. Like we should just bake it in. But okay, so you're there. Are you doing, um, are you like studying theater or drama right off the bat? Or are you like doing other things? Like what is your... What's your, uh, I don't know if you had a mission necessarily, because like, I don't know, Duke, you can do so many different things, but like, did you have an agenda or did you have like a goal or like, what did you want out of that experience? Yeah. So in high school, um, I had really gotten to the point where I not only loved making drama, like acting, writing, directing drama, but I also realized that it, it, it you know, I was like self-actualized by it too, because I mm. believed in political theater and its ability to, to change people's minds, to oh, yeah. let people step out of their own shoes and into another person's shoes. Like so many of the world's collective action problems are because we can't see the world from the other side's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I really believed in that, but I realized that theater had become such an upper middle class medium that even I myself had not shown up to any, had not been exposed to any theater storytelling as a child through my parents because they couldn't afford it. But I had been exposed to film. I had been exposed to a lot of TV and occasionally a good film, you know? Um, So I was like, okay, I would love to be able to reach more people. So I want to transition my theater skills to film. So Freshman year, first semester, I picked introduction to film class Mm -hmm. and um, I went and I asked for a job with the film department, which I was lucky enough to, you know, get one. I was like, I worked for the school in the, what is it called? In the equipment room, in the equipment cage. Um, And then I think I, I did a little bit of theater. I did like a little bit of a Shakespeare studio um, just to like slowly ease myself out of Mm -hmm. the theater and ease myself out of acting because I was thinking like I just transitioned fully to being behind the camera because, you know, me being in front of the camera is kind of like a ridiculous idea, like a ridiculous (laughs) thought. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it kind of felt at the time. Did you feel like uh, throughout high school – and your training in New Zealand when you were coming to Duke, like, did you, um, what was that? What was the scope of that training? I mean, like, do you like when, let's just say like directors are kind of like in your head and they try to like, um, almost like be someone that they can kind of inspire you to think about things in a different way? Or do you kind of prefer like maybe more laissez-faire, like hands-off approach, like just let me do my own thing. Um, and like, do you feel like your your work comes out in the way that you want it realized better that way? I love both. 
I mean, I'm I'm not, I'm not a particular person who's like that fussy about how that gets done. I think it it also, you know, it depends on the type of project and what role you're playing. You know, um, oftentimes I found that in TV, you really don't get a lot of direction because one, you know, there's so much time pressure on everything. So it's like the directors need to have so many other things they need to focus on. Mm -hmm. And two, oftentimes, if you're a series regular on the show, you are there all the time and the directors come in and out, you know, like there's one or there's one director per episode or uh, one director for two episodes. So oftentimes the series regulars are more familiar with the world of the show than the directors are coming in. Um, But then, you know, then you've got theater and all of that stuff. And sometimes the director can really help you explore and push your boundaries in that way too. So I like both ways of working. I try to just remain fluid and open and always keep the storytelling as the main goal and the focus. So then equipment room. So what happens after that? So did you, uh, like behind the scenes, were you interested and did you see yourself potentially doing that more? Um, Or did you, like, was there a kernel that inspired you to be in front of the camera? Oh, no, 100%. I was looking for, I was just looking to get remotely close to storytelling as a living. Like I was open to everything and anything, you know, I was, I was like, I was holding boom mics on camp, like on set and stuff. If you look at my IMDb, there are so many random little credits from when I was in college that it's like, oh, I was a set photographer or whatever, or I was a boom mic operator or, you know, it's like, it was open to doing anything and everything that's a part of the storytelling process um and it just so happened that and I was also open to being on the business side too like I interned in creative development at color force reading scripts and doing script coverage I interned at legendary in the business affairs department like looking through all of the all of the accounting documents and the um, legal documents, the contracts for everything, not to mention that I rotated through the marketing department and the physical production department there too. Mm-hmm. I also interned in casting because I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I love directing. I love acting. Maybe that's just a casting director. Okay. <laughs> you know. So I thought maybe that was like the nice combination of the two. It was just like a whole process of trying to figure out where I wanted to be the most in the business and where the business needed my skill set. And then you did you find that with acting, it was kind of like, were you able to use the experiences of like holding the boom, being a boom operator, like going through accounting and all of that, the legal department, casting? Did you find that that was like a good blend? I mean, I don't know how you blend accounting with that, but did you feel like those <laughs> those experiences informed how you think about film and performing at all or do you feel like they were just like I don't know bump in the road is the right way to put it but just like part like that was that chapter of my life and then this is like this new thing that I'm doing oh no a hundred percent I see it all as like understanding how the business of being able to tell stories works right and that's ultimately what I want like maybe someday I would love to start a production company or something Mm -hmm. so knowing all of this stuff the accounting and all that is very helpful for that too just to see how you would run a company like that but also being a part of getting insight into all the different facets of the business, you have a renewed appreciation for how we're all in this together and we can't do this thing without the hundreds and thousands of people that touch it, you know, and everybody has their own 
has their own strengths, but also have their own obstacles to fulfill in a day and on a project and uh, to learn to appreciate them all and to not be frustrated and uh, to not just think it's like all about your department. Yeah, not be frustrated. That can be challenging sometimes and just just in general, right? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we got it. So then, uh, what was your? Do you remember your first uh, gig where you were like in front of the camera? Maybe it was a small thing, but you just felt like, all right, this is like, what was there? Like, we're missing a, we're missing something. Which is, what is the point where you go behind, like, from all those experiences to knowing that you want to be in front of the camera? Like, this is what I want to do. Was there a moment, like, a quintessential moment for you? No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) We got it. Because it was, it was more just like trying to do any part of it and just like when I first graduated, I was, I had two feature screenplays that I was trying to get people to read and to maybe get representation because I heard that that's how you get a writing rep. But honestly, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to read a 22 year old screenplay because just, People don't take young screenwriters seriously, um, but they'll take a 22-year-old actor seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to book jobs very quickly, like pay my rent with acting when I first moved to LA. And I was doing, you know, the non-union stuff at first. And um, also, like, I was able to get represented in the acting too, probably because in New Zealand I was represented already because I had, mm-hmm. like, won all these competitions in New Zealand for it. Um, And when I was at the Globe, I went with some people who were already like child actors, like they Mm. were famous in the country and like already working. And so they had agents. And when um, at one, you know, at one point I emailed those agents and be like, hey, I just went to the Globe with these guys and like resume X, Y, Z, you know, would love to get represented. And Auckland actors, they were amazing. And they did. They signed this like little green eyed 18 year old. And um, literally like two months, two weeks or something later, I was like, oh, so um, I actually just got a scholarship to go to America for college. So I'm actually not going to be here anymore. Um, But they were cool with it. And they said, you know, let us know if you ever want to audition on your summer breaks. And um, where I did junior, junior year, I went back to New Zealand for a little bit for for like a longer period of time to try and figure out like, oh, should I try to start my career in New Zealand or should I try and start it in America type of thing? Mm -hmm. And they got me my first audition, not my first audition, but they got me an audition Mm -hmm. for a McDonald's, um, an international McDonald's commercial. Okay. And it was called the, like the, it was like a breakfast thing and uh, I booked Mm. it. So I, I had a McDonald's commercial under my belt when I was in LA looking for new rep like representation so it was i guess easier to get signed when you've already like got a paid credit under your belt so i think it just so happened that where i was and what the business needed really collided and i was so lucky i was on an international student visa extension the opt And I only had like maybe a couple of months left on that um, before I would need to leave the country or, or switch onto like an um, 
an alien with extraordinary ability visa and AMC, an alien with extraordinary ability okay i know right. that's literally what it's called can you imagine okay. going on to the government website and like going on the dash going down and selecting yeah alien. Alien, okay alien. all right um yeah so it then um amc hell on wheels yeah. they had just so happened they wrote this incredibly specific role that meant they had to go and do a public casting process for it and um i submitted myself on there for it publicly and then i called my agent was like can you please like double submit me as well i'm just making sure you see that you know all of that stuff and i ended up booking it so it's kind of nuts i went from like a complete nobody not even in the union and then i got i was like next thing you know series regular on amc you fucking killed that show uh <laughs> that's where i've uh kind of like found out about you honestly through that oh cool, cool. yeah because like you because I mean, man, there's so much. All right, to unpack in that. All right, just a few things. Like on that, so AMC, and mm-hmm. that's um kind of about the railroad, right? That Pacific mm-hmm. Railroad and all those like jobs, quote unquote, that people had and how they treated uh labor, particularly like Chinese labor. And mm-hmm. it was just it was so many different themes, but you had to play, you had the secret, right? At the beginning, and you mm-hmm. kind of unpacked that in one of the first few episodes. But how does how was that? process like playing a guy fong and then also a woman may i mean did you find that like how did you where did you pick up like those mannerisms like about that fong has and all the differences between him and then like may did you tap into something or how did you like how did you navigate that thank you um honestly i had a lot of help and what is what is so magical and incredible about all of this is that so that globe training i talked to you about before yeah that was in the context of putting on as you like it the mm-hmm. shakespearean play where i played rosalind mm-hmm. which is a woman pretending to be a man yeah but in a comedy so here i am i've actually been trained by some of the best teachers in the world to do the whole gender role-playing thing, Mm. but just in a comedy. So all I needed to do was to take all of those skills and to tone it down and bring it down for screen. And so it just, it's like, that's why it's so incredible. It's like, it just so happened that this very niche skill I had, they needed that and they needed somebody who could speak Cantonese. That's already like much fewer people can do that. And yeah. um, yeah, so... I was on a good footing for that when I came in and I got the job. But then when I got the job, AMC hired a gender consultant for me. Mm, Okay. So good on them because that was an incredible eye-opening experience. Um, Because even though I had booked the job, there was a little part of me that was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to ruin my career before it even starts. Mm. Like if I cannot pull this off, like this is going to be horrible because acting on in theater and doing it on stage is different from doing it on camera where it's so much more intimate not to mention um in as you like it we all the audience is let in on the fact that she's switching genders right Right. whereas on hell on wheels we were trying to withhold that information i thought you were a dude yeah (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) it's it's honestly the gender consultant is incredible so um james was my gender consultant and he helps people transition like transgender people transition 
So it was just so eye-opening because he was able to tell me that actually, and you know, as somebody who probably has a lot of uh, studied a lot of psychology, you probably realize the automatic brain and then mm-hmm. the brain that's actually like when you're logic and you're thinking mm-hmm. about that. Gender perception apparently is more in the automatic side of the brain. And mm-hmm. that when you walk into a room, you're always your brain is constantly scanning and is making very large, quick minute decisions based on shapes of people mm-hmm. and like general movements of people and you just assume a gender pretty quickly already and unless somebody does something to raise an alarm for that you're not really going to question the gender um and so they were able to help me with um he and his roommate actually helped me a lot with it because after speaking to him just like one-on-one on on set Um, I was actually like, oh my gosh, what you've told me here is so incredible and is so helpful. I'm still actually like, I don't feel comfortable doing this until Mm -hmm. I see other people not perceive me as a woman. Oh, interesting. And so I was like, what you're telling me is that um, at the time, I don't know what it is like now, but they said that you had to actually... Um, live as the gender you want to be before they will give you any hormones for it. Oh, right, sure. That means at the time, people who were still very much feminine presenting would be dressing up and living as men in these public Mm -hmm. spaces. And no one was noticing anything, right? Or Mm. at least they were not often... um, noticed. So I was like, would you be able to take me out to a bar one night and I'll go fully dressed as a man? And if I can pull that off without anybody noticing, then I'll feel a lot better about it. And, you know, bless them. They're amazing. They took me over to their apartment and like James and his roommate helped me put on some of um, their clothes, gave me a pack and then like gave me all the stuff. We played around with how I should hold my face, how I should make my hair to make it the most masculine. And then we went out to a bar in Calgary on um, a night of a hockey game where the Calgary flames were historically like finally in the semifinals mm. and like a room packed full of people yeah nobody noticed i used the men's bathroom nobody noticed and yeah that really helped wow. man men's bathrooms that's authenticity i guess it also holds more weight that it's uh like a gender consultant as opposed to like a director or someone else on set because there's an authenticity and like they actually it's like the difference between walking the walk and talking the talk. I don't know if people still use that expression, but um, it's like, yeah, you just, they're bringing something to the cred, uh, to the credibility table and you're probably trusting them more too as a result, right? Like you have this, did you feel like you had a relationship with them? Like that they were kind of um, like there for you and they gave you this, this key to unlocking some part of the character a little bit? Oh, no, a hundred, a hundred percent. And just being like one of the few people in the world who know what it's like to be perceived as a woman and then to be perceived as a man and like the incredible difference there is there. And then also just the identity struggle that she's going through, like leaving the town with her, um, her father because of all this like tragedy that's happening and having to like make a new life in some ways and just going along this railroad, man, it was wild. AMC's doing, uh, doing cool stuff. All right. So you do that overall, like good experience. I mean, did you enjoy, so you shot that in Canada mostly? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like that was such a blessing. The fact that that was my big first show and um, my first experience of being a series regular. So amazing. Great people, great cast, great crew, great writers, just like, oh, such a blessing all around. And then not to mention to be working on something that is not only challenging for me personally as an actor, but that the story you're telling is so meaningful in a historical context. Like it was the only time where Chinese characters were one of the leads in telling the story of building the railroad that kept the country together post-Civil War. So it was so important that later on we ended up in the like Sacramento Railroad Museum. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, it just counted as such a blessing. It's such a crazy way to start my career. Yeah, no, but a cool and interesting one. All right, so you did that, and then you've done like so many different. It's almost like what you're talking about about um, like originally when you were getting started, like accounting and legal department holding the boom like you've done a lot of different types of roles and you've done like a lot of guest spots television you've been in uh feature films but now um this new show uh this career opportunities show in murder and mayhem right how's that so, so how's that yeah it's love that but actually um and i think i should i'm able to tell this because okay. my friend Lauren Patton was friend and colleague. Lauren Patton was Mm -hmm. just in a play and the new name was announced then. So the new name is actually death and other details. Okay. All right. I feel that that's good. It's simpler, right? More subtle, maybe. Yep. Shorter, easier to spell, I guess, you know, if you're going to be searching for it in the, in the streaming world. Um, Yeah, that was amazing. Loved it. Also, once again, super lucky that I'm thrown together with an incredible group of people, the showrunners, Mike and Heidi, they're just so warm and welcoming. They allowed so many of the actors on set to shadow directors. So they really encourage people to know about different parts of the business. And um, they even gave me my first proper WGA writing gig. Like they're the reason Okay, why there I'm you go. Gig. Yeah, you wrote an episode. I saw that. Yeah. How was that? Yeah. Did you, oh. how was that? Uh, yeah, going from being in front now for like all these years to now writing again in, th- in that context. It was such a dream come true because I'd been working towards it for so long. I took a break, you know, at the beginning when um, after Hell on Wheels, I was then learning so much about the non-acting parts of being an actor. Mm. Um, But then during COVID, I was really given the time to get back to my writing roots. And I finished a screenplay during that time that I submitted to the Academy Awards Nickel Screenwriting Competition. Mm. And once again, crazy timing. I'm on set shooting the pilot for Death and Other Details. And it's announced that I'm in the semifinals top 1% of this, like the biggest screenwriting competition. Wow. And um, I was like so excited about it, but I didn't want to talk to anybody about it on set because I didn't want to make them think I was like not 100% okay. focused on what I was doing right then. Mm-hmm. So I posted about it on social media and I put a in, I put the log line in there. Yeah. And then turns out, the showrunners saw my post, read the logline. They are huge historical drama fans, so they were super curious to read the script. But being genius murder mystery writers that they are, they were like, wait a minute, strategically, we shouldn't ask for the script because in case we hate it, we don't want to have to tell mm. one of our lead actors that we hate <laughs> yeah. the script. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so they were like, so they managed to get the assistance 
to steal the script for them from me mm. without okay. telling me that they were going to read it. And um, then when we got picked up to series, I got a call from them one day and they were just like, so we did a cheeky thing. Uh, we we read your screenplay and we don't know what you want to do with your career, but we would love to have you in the writer's room if you want to do this. And I was okay. like, I'm sweating so hard. Right <laughs> now, I really want to do it. Yeah, that's cool, man. All right. So that's you can't be mad at that. Right. That's I mean, they're a little sneak. Cool move. But hey, it worked. It. it got you in the I writing know. room. Do you like being in the writer, the writer's room? Because when you're writing a script, and we talked about this at the beginning about like you're not quite an extrovert. I mean, you're still an extrovert, I guess, but you're not like fully there. So like when you're in a screenplay situation, when you're writing, like it tends to be kind of more solitary, right? So then, how do you mm -hmm. like? How is the? Did it feel like feel like a transition from going to, from that to then being in a writer's room with like all these other writers? Yeah, exactly. So I was really kind of stressed out about it at the beginning because one, like you said, I've never written as a group and we group wrote the show. So some shows, um, the writer of name on the episode has, just writes the entire thing. But those are usually the shows that have like 20 something episodes right. a season because you know, there's just too many episodes. So everyone's just like doing yeah. their own thing. Um, but we group wrote it. So everyone touched a little bit of every single script. Okay. And so I, and then I had never written anything under like such an intense deadline. So I mm. usually mainly features and pilots in my own time. Yeah. So I was worried about that. Um, but you know what? It was actually such an incredible experience. And what they had said before was that it actually is not as it's when you're alone and banging your head up against like your own desk things take a lot longer like we i just remember at one point being in the room and you hit up against this problem where you're like okay there's this hole that we need to put a puzzle piece in but it's like such a specific puzzle piece because like this part needs to link with this and this part needs to link with that and, and i'm thinking oh my gosh it's gonna be three days of thinking like this is gonna be me like running around taking jogs like trying to like figure this out and just as we're leaning back like not two two minutes passes and then somebody goes wait what about this and it works and you're it's like oh my god exactly <laughs> like, when you have a room full of 10 people you're not just relying on yourself that three days of trying to come up with a thing that fits can just be like it's like the gender consultant like the whole i mean it's like that's the key right that's the missing yeah. piece okay so this is like i don't know much about the show it's a detective type of show all right uh, and it's on Hulu, right? That's where it's mm -hmm. going to come out. So then, um, like, are you able to talk about, like, your character and, like, just a little bit about it? Um, like, so you're Teddy. So yeah. who's Teddy? Who's Teddy to you, Angela? I Oh, this is you. you catching me in a tricky spot. See, this okay. is why I really, I don't think anything's been written about my okay. character online yet. I don't know. I don't think if in any of the deadline releases about that. So, um, yeah, I don't think I can say anything about that. But okay, what I okay, can okay. say is that it's basically um, like a murder mystery on a cruise ship. Okay. All right. Cruise ship. Have you been on a cruise ship? I have actually. I've never been on a cruise ship <laughs> outside of the show. Um but you know, we did get to shoot it on one of the most classic ones, like the Queen Mary. Oh yeah, um, that historical ship. 
That was incredible. I love the Titanic. And so just feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm like shooting kind of like on the Titanic. That's insane. Like something I never would have expected out of life. Um, such an amazing surprise. And uh, while I was writing it, I got to learn a lot about cruise ships. And I happened to bump into a friend of a friend who had spent most a lot of her career working as a dancer on cruise ships. And uh, mm. what she said was like a lot of things on it, a lot of inside information there was very helpful. Okay. For you were almost you were thinking about becoming a dancer at one point. <laughs> Remember I just that? was thinking of selecting dance class. That's okay. It. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Now we get it. All right. Well, this was fun. Um, I feel like we covered all the bases, right? I like, I mean, I feel 100%. good about this. How do you feel about it? No, it feels great. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And um, I always, you know, love hearing from other dookies and I try to pay it forward because the community gave me so much good advice when I was first coming out and that was invaluable. All right. Well, I'm excited for this new show that uh, we we learned some about it. I like it. I like what we know and I'm going into <laughs> it with, uh, you know, a clear headed mindset and I don't know where it's going to go. And that's exciting. So <laughs> this is fun. Uh, thanks again for coming on. It was a blast. Okay. Thanks, John. Nice to meet you.